Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, this week, we have a milestone episode, and I'm not just saying a milestone <laughs> episode because we have Miles Lucas on today. Uh, Miles uh, is going to talk to us and uh, you know drop some knowledge and share some stuff with us here shortly. But when I was saying this is a milestone episode, episode 300, uh, when we started this way back, what's that, about six years ago? Never thought we'd make it to 300, and um, but we are at 300. The only thing I thought that might make it to 300 would be my weight uh, as I got a little bit older, but um, uh, that hasn't happened either. But I have my good buddies, or my good buddy Joe Thomas <laughs> and Byron on the show today. How are you guys doing? Doing good, Gary. Doing good. Yeah, I'm also. I'm also doing good. This is exciting. Three episode 300. We in the past we've made like a big thing about the, the hitting episode 100 or episode 200 uh i think we're just kind of nose to the grindstone uh, have an interview and a normal type of a show but really happy I mean, it's good to look back and 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 think that we've done this 300 times at a show like this yeah. and you think about what all has happened, you know, in 300 episodes. I mean, we've had a BJJ Brick event, and uh, we have another one coming up June 14th through 16th. Um, we had people coming in from all over the United States to see to meet us and, and check out the uh, event. Not to meet us, but to actually, uh, you know, see our great uh, people we brought in. And meet Gary. But, uh, yeah, you. But we also <laughs> had, um, um, we've also been voted uh, the number two ranked podcast in the world. So, I mean, uh, a couple <laughs> of cool things have happened. <laughs> I keep throwing that one out there because uh, I had never seen an article, you know, have us so highly rated. So I thought I'd just throw it out there. But you just say you know, podcast, not even martial arts podcast. Oh, sorry. Martial arts <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where else? I mean, what other jujitsu podcast has had a New York Times bestseller on it? multiple world champions um and uh miles lucas who has had that us and us, us only that we know yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's okay. been a lot of fun it, it, one of the best additions has uh has been joe man uh, so we get emails from people that say hey found the podcast i'm going back i'm listening to all of them and man i'm honored like my wife wouldn't listen to all these episodes if if I died today. I actually, they would. Just I disappear. actually don't listen to them. <laughs> but but that's funny because I know where Byron's going with this. I did listen to everyone starting with number one. You know how many I've listened to since I become regular on the show? Four, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I I do go check out some of the interviews that Byron does, but uh, you know it's the old old Pee Wee Herman <laughs> thing. I, yeah, I, I lived that adventure. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but the crazy thing is, uh, we we ask a lot of times for people to send us articles, um, you know, that we can use on the show. We'd rather use one of our listeners' articles. And Joe just started sending them in, and uh, we got to talk to Joe. We had him on a couple times to talk about his article, and you know, the rest is history. I mean, we weren't even ranked in the top ten of <laughs> martial arts podcasts nationwide until Joe joined us. So uh, you know, Joe kind of took us over the top. And like I said. 
I, I wasn't really enjoying this podcast with Byron, as you know, Byron and I don't get along too well. But now with Joe, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy again. Well, I know, I know y'all are trying to make me feel good. But for the listeners, the reality is every team just needs a good mascot. So once they added that, uh, we're good to go. <laughs> You, Joe, you are the brick. <laughs> if we had a mascot, you'd be uh, in some big brick costume and big old smile on there, and you would go around fighting other mascots from other sports. That would be fantastic. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and I have my money on Joe to beat up all the other mascots. Well, that would be that'd be one type of a game to watch is uh, some mascot, mascot fighting. But if you want to get better at jiu-jitsu, we have six games for BJJ that help your training. It's going to really take your training to a different uh, place and enhance what you're doing. That's what these are designed to do. It's an audiobook made by me. It's about an hour long. It's six and a half dollars. No, six ninety nine. I don't know where I came up with six and a half. And uh, basically, I, take, <laughs> I should bump it up a little bit at this episode. But uh, it basically, uh, while you're rolling, if you, when you go to roll, typically you have a goal of, you know, do well, submit the person, maybe get a good position, maybe working on some technique. This is going to change your parameters to where you have different goals. And when you change those goals, you're still doing the same thing. You're still doing jujitsu, but you're going to have to find different ways to get the problem solved. And it really opens your eyes to different parts of jujitsu that that you may know, but you may not have to experience very often. And uh, for, for me, playing games like these six training games, and these are my top six, have really expanded my jujitsu within myself. It's kind of weird. Uh, like, like some of the biggest moments I've had was when like uh, Renato Tavares or uh, Andre Montero have shown me some like grappling techniques or Justin Rader, you know, taught some really cool stuff. And it, just whatever, you know, at the BJJ Break Camp, I've learned some really game-changing things. But some of these game-changing things have become uh, into my game from experimenting with my own game through games like this. And uh, I, I invite you to to take on the challenge of these. They will change the way you roll. You may not roll as well, but you'll learn a lot when you do. And it's, uh, it's a fun way to do jiu-jitsu a little bit differently. So there'll be a link to this in the show notes. It's called Six BJJ Training Games. It's about an hour long. And it's, it's much like a podcast like you're listening to now. Uh, Gary, last week you had a really interesting off the mat lesson about your basketball team that you're coaching, and and one of the kids didn't show up, and you still played uh, down a person. Uh, I'm hoping you have something in the similar category about this team that we're rooting for. Well, yeah, I want everybody listening to root for the Wichita Warriors. Um, we are a motley crew led by a motley coach, um, <laughs> but but I I will tell you we I, I do have a good lesson from this last week's game. We only had one game this, this weekend. Um, so, uh, we're, you know, it comes Friday. Um, you know, I start thinking about our game. Gary, uh, Gary yeah. hold, hold on a second. So, like, I think a lot of listeners don't even know how old are these kids and, okay. and a little bit of like, give us, is this high school? Is it a teenager? No. Okay. These are, these are 12 and under kids. Okay. Um, you know, most of these kids play year round. Um, we we play in with some really really solid teams, and we are towards the bottom of the team, the league. Um, you know, we we're a new team. Uh, basically, this is just our our second session together. They've played maybe twenty games together. Um, so, uh, you know, we're getting better as we get used to each other. But uh, if you've heard some of the stories I've already talked about, you can see the ups and downs we've had. And um, you know, kind of what happened this week. Uh, 
we we're we normally have practice Friday night for two hours, and um, out of the blue, um, practice was canceled. Uh, I'm the assistant coach, not the head coach. So, uh, you know, we canceled practice for. I to be honest, I really don't know why. And uh, so Saturday uh, we have a game. So uh, you know, I get my boy ready. We're we you know we actually worked. The, a little bit in the afternoon, you know, worked on ball handling and little things like that and just talked about the game and uh, we show up for the game and uh, no head coach. Our two of our players didn't show up. You know, I know I had the issue last week where uh, three of our players didn't show up and we only had four. Um, we started off the season with nine. We've lost a couple people. Um, and now we're down to, uh, we have five people. Regular coach isn't there. And uh, as my players are warming up, uh, a couple of my kids are all like, where's coach? And uh, I really didn't know. Um, and they're asking where the other two players are. I was like, I'm not 100% sure where they're at, but, uh, you know, no biggie. I was like, we're going to go out. We're going to uh, uh, play as hard as we can. And the cool thing is we get to play the whole game. And, um, you know, so, you know, the, the big thing that, and it, we ended up uh, playing very hard. We ended up winning the game. Uh, we ended up blowing the other team out. I, it's, I think it's the best my team has played. I, I think the week before when we only had four people and almost won, I thought that was the best we played up until then. And, um, you know, it's just the, the lesson is the, the adversity we're going to deal with. Um, you know, never is anything going to go right. I mean, this is now two weeks in a row. And a the two weeks before that we've had other stuff happen with you know people not on the team anymore so um you know we, we think about it as we're older that we're going to run into a lot of stuff at work with our families um you know our kids uh, stuff like that but you don't think about it as much as 12 year old kids dealing with adversity um you know i've got a, a diverse group of kids uh, different backgrounds um and you know, so these kids, I have no clue really what they have going on at home, but uh, I don't think they could have any more adversity than what we've been dealing with, uh, you know, on the basketball court. Uh, you know, uh, people not showing up, uh, not knowing where they're at. And, you know, I, I, I'm i just proud of these kids for just pushing through. And, and you think about a jiu-jitsu. Uh, we go to a jiu-jitsu tournament. And normally you're going to have your team, you're probably going to have, you know, anywhere from five to 20 people or, or depending on how big your school is at a tournament, um, who knows how many people you got to coach. And, uh, it could be your turn to be called. Um, and your coach is nowhere around. You may have to have one of your buddies or a teammate coach you. And you really wanted to have your coach who's a world champion coach you, and, and it just doesn't always work that way, but you're just going to have to just go in there and, you know, compete as hard as you can. Um, same thing could happen. Uh, you could be entering two divisions at one time, uh, you just finish uh, one match and uh, no rest whatsoever, and you get called again. Um, you really never know what's going to happen. You just have to push through it. And, um, you know, that's what these kids did. You know, they they were asking me all questions. They seemed a little concerned. And, you know, before uh, before tip-off, I just sat them all down. I was like, hey, the positives are you get to play the whole game. Uh, you know, nobody likes to come out. Let's play. Uh, tell me if you're tired. We'll call a timeout. But uh, the one thing you can control is our heart, our passion. Hey, and these guys got the heart and the passion this time. Last time I told you, um, you know, they didn't get it. But these guys played with heart and passion, and, and you know, that's why we won. And, uh, you know, the game was over, and uh, it's been 24 hours now, 
and I'm still on a big high. Um, it's my first game I've ever coached by myself. And, you know, I played basketball for so many years and I've never really wanted to coach. And, uh, I always told myself I want to coach my own kid for, um, you know, I'll coach him on the side, but I didn't want to coach a team with my own kid. I, I didn't really want the favoritism, uh, you know, that you hear about all the time. And, but I'm having a blast. I've never had so much fun in my life. And these kids are inspiring me. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to take everything I've learned from these kids. I'm going to be better at jujitsu. I'm going to be better at life. I'm going to be a better husband, family man. I'm going to be better at my work. Uh, and uh, whoever thought that uh, I would learn this much from a diverse group of 12-year-olds facing adversity. Man, that's awesome, Gary. <clears throat> I like the way you drug it back on the jujitsu match mats, but uh, man, bringing it back to basketball, you're teaching those kids skills that are going to pay dividends later in life in consequential matters. You know, that's a great thing about kids' sports is kids learn to deal with adversity. They learn to deal with winning and losing in an arena where there are n- no consequences, really. I mean, it doesn't matter when you're 30 years old if you won the championship when you were 12 or if you lost every game the wins and losses don't matter but the lessons they're learning matter and you know you get older and you have a stretch of uh, at work where things are difficult or in your marriage where things are difficult or you know whatever comes up those lessons you learn in the sporting arena when you're kids that that's when they come to fruition i love the way you're taking these kids and saying hey look here's here's the situation but here's what's good about it here's what we can get out of it that's positive and then you're getting the best out of those kids Yeah. And you know what my favorite part of the whole thing was? We've got one kid who who couldn't the one week where he had to play four, he couldn't play. And I found out he got suspended from school and his mom wouldn't let him play, which, you know, I'm totally, totally agree with that. And, uh, you know, I don't really know his home life, but he's a really good basketball player, but he doesn't take well to uh, authority. And he and, uh, you know, he he. I don't know how to say it, but he, I've never seen the kid smile and, uh, he, he really has trouble with authority and him and the head coach really, they butt heads like you couldn't believe. But, uh, this kid's always been my favorite. I guess he kind of reminds me of me when I was his age. Um, but, um, you know, so I talked to him before the game and I was like, Hey, cause this guy, every time he goes out, he, he does something that the head coach doesn't like and gets pulled really quick. And, uh, you know, then he sulks and his game just goes downhill. So I basically took him beforehand and I was like, hey, I want you to shoot. I want you to score. I'm going to have you play point. I'm going to have you bring the ball up. Uh, I want to see a smile on your face. I want the very first time down court. I want you to shoot. And because uh, he always gets in trouble if he shoots too much. But uh, it was nice because the kid had his best game ever. He ended up scoring 16 points out of our 51. So as you can see, that's basically a third of our points. But um, he had a smile on his face the whole game. And uh, he has now scored 16 points in the whole season combined. Um, you know, I know he has it because I, I played against him in another league. I know what he is. He just, you know, having trouble fitting in on this team. And, uh, and you know, I, I just hope I see that smile. And, and that's that's my goal. That's been my goal this whole season is to get him to smile because I don't see it a lot. And um, he so... Man, I was just so proud of him, and uh, I was just so neat to just see a smile on his face, and uh, that's what I—that's what I want to see the whole season. Yep, and you kind of let it slip out there, Gary. Everybody knows that you're a little bit of a basketball player, and now we know you've been sandbagging in the kids' league because you just said you played <laughs> against this kid earlier. So, man, you scored a few points that season, huh? 
<laughs> no, actually, these kids school me. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they shut you down. Yeah. No, what I meant is my son has played against this kid in different leagues before. So sure. I've always seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know enough not to suit up with these kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know they're they're definitely a, a different place in life than you are. Uh, you're writing one chapter, and they're writing another, and that kind of leads us to our quote of the week: Don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter twenty. And uh, we're not really sure who wrote this quote. I dropped it in a Google box, and it just comes up as kind of a lot of people use it. Um, but man, it, it it's tailor made for jujitsu. You can't uh, you can't be comparing yourself if you've been doing jujitsu for six months to somebody that's been doing it for you know three years and um, and, and really even time isn't necessarily the the uh, qualifier for what chapter you're on. Sometimes you'd be training jujitsu for three years and your buddy's been training him for three years, but you're in different chapters. Maybe he's made it to a lot more classes. He's been consistent. Maybe he has some injuries. Maybe he's a competitor. You're not. I mean, all these things kind of. Uh, put you in a different place and uh, you're either going to be falsely inflated if you're comparing yourself to others because maybe for a brief moment at a time you're further along than they are or you're going to be discouraged uh, because everybody's passing you by and you don't need to be either one of those things just uh, deal with how you're doing and don't worry about everybody else Joe I love that quote and uh, it just when you were talking about it you know we may be both in chapter three but who knows where you know, somebody's been training a little bit longer than you. And, and that brings me back to Byron. Um, Byron and I, as you guys know, have been listening to the show, started about the same time. And um, Byron's learning curve uh, was, uh, he learned a lot quicker than me uh, when I first started. And uh, Byron had a really good arm bar from the guard, and uh, Byron used to throttle me. And uh, I used to just remember telling myself, and, and when you're new, you know, I, I really couldn't, see my progress and I, I measured it by the other new guy Byron how we did when we rolled and I bet when we rolled it looked horrible um, and when we first started but uh, Byron used to throttle me and I used to you know compare myself to Byron and uh, be like man why is he so good and I'm so terrible and um, you know I'm glad that I never really let that affect me enough uh, you know, instead of letting it affect me that I might quit, I kind of more used it to, hey, I need to work a little bit harder, work a little bit more, and try to get better. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just one thing. Uh, stuck with it. And, uh, you know, hopefully now Byron's on Chapter 20, and hopefully I'm at Chapter 18 and, you know, catching up every day. Well, trying to catch up every day. That's a uh, – Gary, you're not giving yourself enough credit. <laughs> but – that's a great quote. Don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. And I think that that, you know, we talked about it quite a bit already, but that's so easy to do in jujitsu. You come in, you you put in some time and you try really hard and you're still, I feel like you're just going nowhere with this. Everybody else is way better than you are. It's not a fair comparison. Gary and I both, I mean, when we started, we we're absolutely horrible, and now we're just kind of mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> mediocre, horrible. <laughs> but it's it's just it, it's not fair to yourself to do that. You you need to give yourself time to get good at this. This is, this is a skill based activity, and and if you if you compare yourself with your six months of somebody who's been training ten years, they are on chapter twenty compared to what you've done. That's not a that's. 
that's ridiculous to, to think that, well, that guy's way better than me, or th- th- there's so much knowledge between uh, myself and that person. Right now, in this day and age, as as we bring up this new crop of blue belts, every one of those blue belts, I feel, that I've seen in the past five years is substantially better than I was when I was a blue belt. Not a knock on myself, not a knock on my training. It's just a different uh, approach to jiu-jitsu, different teaching methods, different learning, a different classroom with more people and different styles. All those blue belts, even the, the people who are you know a lot lighter weight than, than I was, and, and I wasn't that strong when I was blue belt, but not that strong now. You're not but, strong now. <laughs> yeah. But they, they'd all tap me out. It, so I, you know, I, th- I think somewhere around like a two stripe white belt or so would have been given been a nightmare to me as a, as a blue belt uh, back back in in my day as a blue belt. Is that's not fair to compare myself to that and, and to think, man, I sucked. That's not fair to me to compare my chapter one to somebody else's chapter one because they're they're different. We've learned a lot about jujitsu. We've learned a lot about how to teach jujitsu since then, and it's just you're on your own journey. Write the next chapter. And the only, the only thing that happens when you quit writing is you, you're gonna you are gonna get worse. <laughs> you're just gonna fade away, and you'll find something else to do. Hopefully, that's just as fun or enjoyable. But uh, you know, jujitsu has so many great benefits to it. Uh, keep writing those chapters in the book, and it won't be long. And you'll you'll kind of find your own uh, book that you're you're writing. And maybe it's a six games for BJJ, six chapters in that book <laughs> that that uh, help you write your own style. But um, so- you know, looking at yeah, Gary. Does that mean you got, because there's only six chapters in that book, does that mean you still got 14 left to get up to 20? Could be. Could be. And I don't know, you know, why you'd want to stop at 20. Some, it, every, almost every grappler in the world, except for there's just a couple of guys and gals, look at somebody else and say, that person's way better than me. That I need to train super hard to, to hang with that person. And it just goes up and up. And it, if that's not a motivating thing, it could be a terrible thing to where you don't want to do this anymore. You just need to be treat yourself fairly. And, you know, you look at this journey, and we're going to talk to Miles Lucas here in a minute. And he had a, a, an amazing journey through his jujitsu. And I think it's just great to, to hear somebody else's story of, of coming up, uh, you know, a long time ago and doing jujitsu and, and is now a black belt and has, is focused on different areas of training and uh, of jujitsu and dealing with injuries. All these things are, are chapters in his book, and uh, I think we can learn a lot from that today. So let's kick off our interview with Miles Lucas. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. One time, during a bridge, he passed gas, and the price of oil went up 10% a barrel. He defends a double leg blast with one leg. He has fought Cletus three times at the dinner table. All three fights started with Cletus walking over and ended with Cletus limping back. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Miles Lucas to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Miles, welcome to the show. Byron, so, uh, so nice to be here. It, it's nice to have you. I was kind of uh, made aware of you. Uh, you had a very interesting post on Reddit, and, and uh, uh, one of the Reddit uh, readers, David, had tagged me in it. I'm, I, I should do a better job of reading 
things on Reddit, but I don't, <laughs> and posting things. But, uh, man, I read your story or, you know, read what you had posted anyway, and I thought it was a great uh, thing to to learn about you and, and, and what you've done and, and, and some of the mental processes that you went through. And uh, I think that's uh, you're highly relatable to a lot of grapplers. But, uh, Miles, introduce yourself a little bit uh, off the mat and a little on the mat uh, to the audience. Could you please? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so uh, I'm about 40 years old, and uh, I started jiu-jitsu back in the late 90s, uh, you know, in the, the heyday, in the golden age, you might say. And, uh, and I was even in South Carolina when I started. So jiu-jitsu was a bit obscure and I was in an obscure place, uh, you know, doing an obscure sport. And, uh, and it, it was just a lot of fun. And all the things in, in my Reddit post about uh, how difficult jiu-jitsu can be, um, it, it's, it's certainly true. And that's why I, got, I like your guys' podcast so much is uh, you guys don't uh, uh, make it sound easy. And, and you talk about the, the struggles a lot. And uh, it's 100% true. And in order to stay with doing jiu-jitsu for a long time, you got to uh, you have to learn so many other things. That's not just jujitsu, right? You have to learn how to uh, fix and repair your joints and uh, and to deal with injuries and all that stuff. And uh, and that was the struggle for the last uh, twenty years. So uh, I made it through, and uh, and I eventually did get my black belt. Although I never in a million years thought I would, especially back then when uh, even a, a purple belt was like a a magic dragon that you'd see that could do uh, uh, crazy things to people that you couldn't explain. And, uh, and so, so here we are, I, I got my black belt and, uh, and I started to really figure out how to stay in shape. And, uh, and, and I'm in much better shape than I was even in my twenties. And then I started to do the, the fight to wins, which is, uh, you know, just a, an insane promotion. And, uh, and now I feel almost obligated to to teach some of the things that I've learned and uh, really created some some simple principles that people can follow. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing the transformation that people can make with jujitsu, especially. But then if you stick with it, uh, you, you know, you really learn a lot of lessons about life, which is neat. Yeah. Uh, Miles, I, I can remember in my own journey, not even thinking about being a black belt until I was handed a brown belt and my uh, instructor said, "Black belt's next." <laughs> like, yes, I didn't even think about this as like a thing. <laughs> like it's so far away, and it's in in that. I think it helps. I think it helped me anyway. Not thinking about it because as a white belt or a blue belt or even a purple belt, like it is very far away. It's just yeah. really is the. It seemed like the day to day focus on getting better at something on the mats and whether it was getting better at a sweep or a choke or something like that. It, don't worry about that belt. Just work, work on getting better at, at, at an element of your jiu-jitsu. Well, and we, we always don't, uh, a lot of times we don't celebrate the small wins. So that even improves your jiu-jitsu. When, when you are uh, stuck in, in uh, side control or I'm sorry, stuck in like bottom half guard and you just pass a knee, Man, that's a big uh, that's a big win, and a lot of people are going for sweeps and doing all this stuff. But if you just pass a knee over and, and get through the first half, uh, that's completely worth celebrating. So to to those long off goals of a black belt or a higher belt or anything, 
is uh, those are great. But man, when you stack up the small wins, you can really have a, a much more enjoyable journey. Yeah, I, I man, you, <laughs> I'm excited for the interview because you you bring up things that uh, I don't I don't even think about. But yeah, I remember having like small wins with. Uh, trying to do a triangle choke. And, and my first thing was not to have somebody pass my guard within a minute. And so, because I need to be able to maintain my guard to do a triangle. And then the second thing was be able to set it up, get it to where they are, they have one arm in and one arm out of my my guard. And that, I was I was like, that's a big step. And, and I would never finish the choke, but I would get to where I could set it up first. And then I could maybe maintain that for, you know, a few weeks to go by. And then eventually I started getting some finishes with the triangle choke. And I think that's a lot of jujitsu is just celebrating those small things because it's so easy to say, oh, my triangle is not any good. Let's do something else I can figure out or give up altogether. But if you could break it down into small parts and then acknowledge when you're able to do those things, that is a huge uh, thing that could help you stay on the mats. That's right. And you know, too, we get caught up in the, uh, the steps a lot, you know, and uh, I can't remember a lot of steps when I'm getting, when people are teaching me. So if something's more than three steps, I mean, you almost need to tell me five or six times. But, uh, what's neat is after I got my black belt, what I started to do is, uh, improvise a whole lot more. And then, uh, once you start improvising, it's not the steps anymore. All of a sudden you're, you're learning these principles, and, uh, and then these principles transcend the steps and you can follow these principles instead of, uh, this, uh, like a, I have a butterfly sweep that I like to teach the guys. And, uh, and I call it like a 32 in one sweep because we talk about all the different ways that you can get a hold of the guy's post. Well, there's four ways you can get his post. There's four ways that you can grab the other half of his body. You can use either foot to sweep. And if you add up all the multiples, it would be 32 different sweeps. If you if you interchanged all the different ways you could do it, but it's only three principles, so so that's pretty neat too. Once you start to uh, understand the steps, then you can see the principles that, that go through that shoots through all these steps. And uh, man, it's it, it makes it even. That I think that's what getting a brown belt, getting a, a purple belt, getting a black belt. That's what starts to happen. Is is why people say, oh, now I just started learning again. Like it's I'm starting from the beginning. It's because you start to find those principles, and uh, and man, then the the world gets even bigger. Yeah, I like that method of teaching because it shows that, like, so many times you get somebody who's fairly new at jiu-jitsu, and it's like, do step one, and then step somewhere between step one and step two, it falls apart, and if you can't get to step two, it's <laughs> not right. going to work, and at step two, there's no step three. But there's so many because that's because you're fighting against a unwilling opponent, and that's right. <laughs> and it's you need those options. You need you need solutions to what they're going to bring to you. That's a great way. Would you recommend like when you're when you're new or or if you're in a, a part of the the game you don't fully understand to go by the steps for a while? You know, definitely because you have to, right? Because you have to. Uh, you can't see the principles yet in the beginning, but uh, I think that learning the principles is the neat thing down the road. But the, those initial steps, I mean, you just got to see what works. But I think that you – one thing that beginners could uh, uh, realize that I certainly didn't and most don't is that there is an element of, of improvisation that can be used and that you can be confident that, you know, since, like you said, our opponent is, is unwilling, you can be confident to do a little bit of improvisation in order to make those steps. You know, the, the steps aren't quite so solidified. So because there's so many variations, right? I mean, it's infinite. Grappling is, is completely infinite. So to, to have the confidence after you've learned the steps to, to 
throw improv in your game a little bit early on, and then uh, and you might it might help you learn and, and see maybe why those steps were so important. Yeah, and just to look at the other side of it, sometimes you, like you improv a little bit and you get your guard passed. <laughs> like that's that's part of learning, <laughs> that's though. Right. That's right, especially if you have a bigger, stronger opponent. <laughs> but it's just that's that's part of learning, and you know, it's time to work on your uh, your side control escapes or your mount escapes or something like that. But um, yeah, I think that that's a pretty natural thing is to want to if something's not working to try to figure out how do you do this? And it's just doing that over the course of many, many years, like you and I have done, we learn kind yeah. of that process of what's likely to work or what, where should I take this with, with improving, uh, where goes, where comes next? Well, I love how you guys focus too on, on what, what beginners should do and, and what's going to help you the most, because it's, because it is such a, a, a it's so difficult. It's such a difficult thing to do. In the very beginning, especially if you're a little bit older and, and you know, you're not, uh, you know, in your 30s or 40s, it's definitely doable. And it's a lifelong endeavor if if you're able to sort of stick out the first uh, couple of years. Right. Yep. I, I, I agree. And I appreciate the <laughs> the uh, the nod <laughs> of uh, <laughs> that we're trying to do here. You know, that's uh, everybody's different. You know, we have a lot of listeners who are in their teens or 20s and we have a lot of listeners who are, you know, well above 60 and the the same podcast goes out to everybody. <laughs> but yeah. it, the, the main thing is we're all on our own journey. Like if you're starting now and you're 60, there's no point in, in thinking about, you know, man, I wish I would have started when I was 50 <laughs> or, you know, when I was younger. It, it just just proceed with who you are today and, 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 and make the best of that. And that's I think that's how ultimately both of us got to the point of being a black belt is just proceed today and, and, and do my best. Listen to my coach, try to try to figure out what's going on with my body. And, and will this technique work for me? And, uh, <laughs> do I need to right. add this technique to my game? There's a lot to it, but I, I think there's, uh, there's two types of white belts uh, out there. Yeah. Really? There's the white belt who thinks someday I'm going to be a black belt. And there's white belt who thinks, you know, I just want to get a little bit better, and I think that the yes, <laughs> both of them could become really good at jiu-jitsu. Both can ultimately become black belts, or you know, that's not like the pinnacle of the sport is to be. But it's just a like a, I think an easy milestone to look at to to say this person made it to this level. But I think it's an easier road, and and maybe a less frustrating road to just try to get a little bit better today. That's right, and I think uh, I think too. I love talking about, again, about uh, what to do as a beginner. Embrace those. There, there's some things that you can embrace, such as bigger opponents. That's that's one thing that uh, it, it's very difficult, and we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to get injured, and so we want to be careful of who our opponent is. But the, uh, a neat thing about bigger opponents is that less moves work on them. So you're, the amount of moves that you need to learn become smaller and smaller. The bigger the guy gets, the less moves that are going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like your pool of moves that you need to learn is, uh, is gets to be really tiny when you start going against people that are, are a lot bigger than you, a lot stronger than you, maybe a lot more experienced. And, uh, and so again, yes, uh, don't worry about uh, winning. Don't worry about your next belt. Worry about, uh, uh, you know, learning the, the things that work. And yeah. there's a good way to do it with those bigger guys. That's an interesting concept that uh, I, you know, looking at how I play against uh, a bigger person, if I'm, you know, if we're really 
like going at it in a more you know less playful way. They were trying to we were both trying to to kind of perform well. I I want that person's back. <laughs> That's the answer I have. <laughs> right. And so like I'm looking at what moves work for that. Am I arm dragging? Is there uh, am I going to be on top? Is that even an option? Or or what am I going to do to get to their back? That's it. All pass I'm going to try to do is to the back. That's and right. even if I'm trying to sweep them, I'm really trying to get them to expose their back in that process. Like. A lot of my moves are control. gone. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's right. And that's, it's, it makes it, in a way, like you look at the, the difficult task of, of submitting somebody who's got you by 100 pounds, but it does make it simpler. There's only going to be a few things I'm going to try. And, and like you said, with like, there's a lot of different ways to do those. And if, he, if I try to arm drag him and he wrecks this way or does this, I've got a lot of different things I could do to answer that. And so it kind of makes this combination. Yeah, maybe six ways I'm going to get his back, but six times, you know, the 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 ten other reactions he might have. There's a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I think we should really cherish those uh, those bigger guys in our gym. I, I've had the good fortune. I was at uh, Gorilla Jiu Jitsu in San Jose for a long time under uh, Matt Darcy, Dave Camarillo. You guys uh, interviewed Dave uh, not too long ago. That was pretty cool. And. Uh, we created uh, our own little uh, a team inside our team. We called them uh, uh, Team Size Matters. And uh, nobody <laughs> in there <laughs> was under 230 pounds. I mean, it was just a, a, a handful of absolute monsters. We had a guy, uh, a Big Jeff. He was, uh, he was about 6'10", about 6'10", over 230. And uh, what a unique body style to deal with, you know. And you couldn't take his back. I took his back one time. And uh, perfect hooks in. It was one of my best days uh, of my, you know, or I thought it was going to be one of my best days uh, of my jujitsu career. I have his back. I'm about to flatten him out. He's a he was a purple belt at the time. He's a brown belt now, by the way. He is an absolute savage. And uh, and as I'm trying to flatten him out, I mean, he's he's so much bigger than me. He just rolls to the side gently, probably trying to be nice, and uh, it popped my my knee out of place. Oh man, yeah, and so. So okay, well now what am I going to do? This uh, this this back take where you flatten someone out is supposed to be the king, you know. This is this should work on anybody, and 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 so that's pretty neat. So now I have to come up with a new way, uh, you know, after a, a little bit of time off to to repair my knee, I have to come up with a new way to be able to control this guy. So I learned that uh, on those bigger guys, on those guys that uh, you know are, are, are hundred pounds, maybe even bigger than you, that uh, that a back crucifix. That the crucifix is actually uh, much more effective uh, than controlling a guy that's so much bigger than you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and so, man, guys, I, I would encourage everyone to really embrace those big guys and encourage them and keep them going, and uh, and realize what a special thing it is to be able to test your skills against someone uh, that's that much bigger than you. Yeah, and and it is. You guys made like a kind of a team there. It's important for them to have each other because it's like if if you just show up and train, if you're 180 pounds or whatever, and you show up and train with the kids class all the time, it's going to be really hard to get to to become good at jiu-jitsu. And if you outweigh everybody by 200 pounds or by, or by 100 pounds and you show up at jiu-jitsu and that's always the case, it's difficult to get those those tough roles that, that you need. So you you big people need other large individuals to grapple with to help them uh, find their game. So, I mean, if you're 180 and you're showing up the kids class, like Kramer <laughs> out of Seinfeld and karate, yeah. you're just kicking everyone's butt. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You're not going to get very good. Are you? It's going to be hard to challenge yourself. I mean, you might be grappling to him at the same time or something, but no, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. but yeah, it's, it's, 
yeah, I'm always an advocate. If if you're the biggest person in the gym, you know, find somebody else that you could bring in. You know, find a, a weightlifting buddy that you could start training with and and get somebody near your size. That, that's very helpful uh, long term. Um, so we've we've kind of talked a little bit about um, just general juice and stuff, but I do want to talk about your journey because I think that so many of us can relate to that. Like having you know, like your knee injury, and then you know, sometimes yeah. people get injured like that and they're done with jujitsu. They they say hang it up and say no, mm-hmm. thank you. Or having a job that doesn't really fit with your schedule. I'm sure in the many years you've been training, you've had some jobs that didn't really mesh well, or relationships, or you know, life situations come up, and and jujitsu can't yeah. always be like the number one thing in all of our lives. Sure. Can you kind of address some of those life challenges that you've had to go through? Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful to be able to, uh, you know, have family around me and people that support me to, to be able to, to do this. Right. I have two kids, two boys, eight and 10 years old. And uh, and to get away just for an evening for, for class is, uh, you know, I'm just super grateful that I'm able to do it. So, uh, you know, I, I let it be known that uh, I try and schedule it in and make sure that like, hey, this is this is super important to me. And uh, and I'm going to be much nicer after this happens. Jiu-jitsu class. <laughs> and, uh, and so let's let's make sure that it happens. Um, you know, the, the biggest struggle that I overcame uh, throughout this whole thing is injuries. Uh, and I was thinking about it today. And the 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 one thing that's going to happen in jujitsu, well, how often would you, do you think? Uh, uh, people get injured. Like if they start jujitsu, what's the what's the likelihood that they're going to get injured from jujitsu? If you're starting, a, it, you just, yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty high rate. It's about a thousand percent. Like you, there's you are one hundred percent going to get uh, injured in somehow some somehow some way. So that's a that's a neat thing that you have to learn about. You know, on this this journey. And what I discovered through uh, years of trying to figure it out is I finally learned how to strengthen my joints, which is, which is giant because jiu-jitsu is the biggest test of, uh, of, of joint manipulation. You know, we call it uh, involuntary yoga. You know, I mean, <laughs> people are going to – they're going to get you, <laughs> and they're going to mash on your joints. And, uh, you know, what was an interesting uh, turning point was, uh, was actually not that long ago. Do you remember when uh, – when, uh, uh, who is it? Um, uh, Eddie Bravo fought, uh, did that metamorphosis with, uh, with Gracie. Oh man. Yeah. That was a brutal match. Brutal match. He got him in the, the leg, the vaporizers. Right. And, uh, and then they said, they said afterwards that he was walking around fine the next day. And I thought, man, how weird he's in his forties. How did he do that? How is he different than me? You know, is he, is his, the, his ligaments different than mine? Like, why, why can't my leg pop out a joint like that and then go back and then I'm fine? And, uh, and, and the truth was, is uh, I figured out how to be able to recovery from injuries uh, a lot faster, to be able to assess them a lot faster. And, uh, and it's the simplest, it's the dead simplest techniques that I never knew uh, 15 years, you know, 10, 15 years into jujitsu. And uh, that's, that's the, the, the biggest part of the journey is being able to stay healthy. You know, I mean, jujitsu teaches you how, teaches you how to uh, exert yourself with, uh, you know, with food in your stomach, how to eat, how to do all these things. And then, uh, and then that's another unexpected uh, uh, benefit is that you've got to figure out how to overcome injuries and, and, and keep going. 
And um, I'd love to share with you guys a little bit, just some things, some tips guys can do. Absolutely. Don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the neat thing is, is that uh, if you engage your joints for an extended period of time for like planks or for holds, you really engage all the small tissue, the, the uh, tendons, the muscles, these tiny muscles around your joints that you don't typically use. And you, you probably don't use them as much either in like standard weight training or that sort of stuff. So just as an example, if you do a push-up, if you do a, a, a push-up for one minute, if you take about 20 seconds to go down, if you sit down there for 20 seconds and then go back up, you, you, so you took about a minute to do it, man, you're, you're trembling. You're, after you're done, you're, you're, you're all pumped up. You got blood flowing through, through the, your chest and your elbows, and you really gain uh, a ton of resilience in your joints with these types of exercises and they take, you know, that one took a minute. You could do a whole a workout series in five minutes and, and your, your joints are full of blood. You engaged all the little muscles and, uh, and you're really ready to, uh, for whatever endeavor, not just jujitsu, but, uh, I also like kiteboarding and surfing and soccer and the kids are playing lacrosse now and all this stuff. So that's a really, uh, for the journey, that, that was probably my biggest turning point in the journey. After you learn how to repair yourself, then, uh, then you are, are really ready to, to take on a lot more. That's, so what, what about the – is it if I do a slow pull-up or a slow squat, yes. is that the same sort of a thing? Totally. So if you get to that point where you're trembling, that's, the, that's where I think is the sweet spot. And again, and this is not from anything I've learned from. I've never, uh, I, I haven't learned this from anywhere other than experimenting. So I was, uh, you know, I was rolling as a purple belt, as a brown belt, and I, I was getting. It was. I, I would have to take a, a bunch of uh, aspirin or a bunch of uh, pain meds afterwards. Uh, you know, we're in California. I had to to take weed. I had to take any anything I could to get through the night. Because my back hurt. I mean, I was okay, but it was I was sore, you know, and uh, and I had to overcome that. And so I had I worked for years on different things to do. I was doing weight training. I was I was doing uh, uh, ball training. And I was doing the kettlebells. All these things. And what I noticed is that uh, I would get sore from this extracurricular exercise that I would do, and then I would get sore, and I would sometimes tweak something. Right. I would be doing trying to do some balancing on a ball and I would tweak my ankle a little bit. And then that night at jujitsu, I inflame whatever I tweaked. I would inflame it even more and it would turn into like a, a, a worse injury. And so that's that's not going to work if your supplemental workout for jujitsu is is injuring you. Yeah, <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> that's not that's not the one you want to do, you know. So I just kept getting lighter and lighter and easier and easier. And then I was just doing like push-ups, sit-ups, and squats. And that was working pretty good. But again, if you do some like leg swinging, uh, uh, like leg lifts, and you start doing turns and that sort of stuff, I, I would tweak my back a t uh, just a tiny bit. Nothing bad, but and, and it, was, it was a disservice. So then I just started going slower. <laughs> and if, you know, at first I was doing like a 20-second push-up. And then at 30 and then 40. And then I just decided I'm only going to do when, – when I was running out of time, I'm like, I'm only going to do one. I'm not going to do any sets of anything. I'm going to just do one <laughs> push-up, one squat, and just do them for as long as I can. And, uh, and that's when I really – the magic started to happen. That's when I was completely prepared for the jiu-jitsu and, and 
my joints were healing quite quickly because also when you're going so slow like that, you can do an assessment of any injury, any uh, pain that you have, and, and you know exactly where it is. And so you know where it's not, and you, can, you know where you can exert around the area that it's, it's not painful. So it gives you like a broader range of motion, which is pretty interesting. So, okay, <laughs> There's, I have like three or four questions floating around in my head. Yeah, um, <laughs> let's go, Byron. Does, this is fun. I, I like how like we talked about breaking down the 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 technique you know like it like the the one i gave was a triangle so it's first set up the triangle or maintain my guard whatever like if i can't do a minute long push up first do a 20 second long push up and that's then right. that's the, the, like you're still getting to that point where you're shaking or it's very difficult for you do, do you feel that this helps a lot with strength or is it primarily protection of of your your joints well, yeah, so I'm not super concerned with strength because you can you can add strength. If you want to get stronger, you can do uh, you know whatever type of weight training you want to do or anything. This will make you stronger, but what my primary goal is is to be uh, – for my joints to be strong. Okay. That's all I care about. I just want my joints not to cut, pop out of place. You know, there's been points in my life where uh, I was in the U.S. Open uh, as a brown belt, and uh, I did a great first match, and then in the middle of my second match, my knee pops out of place in a way that it should not have. Like I was in a pretty stable position. And so it can't do that. I'm not going to be <laughs> effective in jiu-jitsu if, uh, if my joints are so unstable that, uh, that they're going to slip out of place, you know? And, uh, and this is what, if you do something like this on a daily basis, I, I, there's no reason to take days off because this is so easy to do. I mean, this is like, you know, five minutes is all you need. Then uh, that's what gets stronger. So now my knee never even gets close to popping out of place. So what is your your little can't-skip-it routine then? You know, yeah. you say it's quick and easy. I know it has a push-up probably and probably a squat. What else is involved? Yeah, push-up and a squat. You could do a lunge. You could do uh, – and I do a sit-up or, or more like a crunch. But uh, the neat thing is that it's really exercise agnostic. I mean you could okay. swap in even exercises with weights or anything like that. But the main concept is – is that you just do the movement as slow as you can possibly do it, just absolutely to the the trembling uh, uh, where you're where you can you just can't stand anymore, and you get to a point where you're holding it and you're trembling, and it seems like that this is through experimentation. It seems like this is the safest way to exercise possible. I mean, it's just like you you never end these exercises with any tweaks or anything. You only feel stronger. Your 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 that area seems to be just pumped with blood. I mean, I, I like one exercise I do is like a you could call it a one legged squat, but you don't squat all the way down. You uh you close your eyes, you lift one foot off the ground, and then you just squat down uh, uh just a nice bent knee is all you need to do. But when you're closing your eyes, it makes it difficult to balance. It's actually a health marker to, to test your inner ear health. But then uh you, you do this for a minute, and uh, I, you could call it like uh, the blind Miyagi's, like Mr. Miyagi, how he would do those. Uh, it it kind of looks like that. Okay. But uh, because you tremble like that, when you're done, you feel like you're wearing an iron boot. And, uh, and your ankle is strong. Your, your feet, your toes, and your knee are, are just feel like they are uh, uh, invincible. Cool. So th- that's kind of a 
prevention. <laughs> if you, if you, yes. what do you do when something does happen? If your knee, you know, pops or, or your elbow does something like, do you have any thing that helps you get back on the mat a little quicker? Yes, a hundred percent. So because you've already been doing these things, uh, it does seem to repair faster, but, uh, just before any of these exercises, uh, I, I, I crack my knees, crack my back, realign everything. And the reason I started doing it is because I was, uh, when I would do jujitsu and when the adrenaline kicks in and you know this, that, uh, you don't feel pain. Right. And so when you hear some pops or something, it was, it used to make it hard to assess whether that was uh, an issue or whether that was just a, a, like a knuckle cracking type noise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I had that just last week. I were rolling and my ankle goes crack and he's like, are you okay? I think, I think I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't adrenaline amazing? I mean, you don't know. You don't even know if you're okay. You don't know if tomorrow is going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be hobbling around because adrenaline sort of masks all that. So what I started to do is uh, I would crack everything. I did a little routine where uh, I would adjust my back, adjust my knees, adjust my ankles, even my toes. Uh, there was I had a point one time where uh, I had an open guard on someone and my toe was just caught in there a little bit and it ripped the webbing of my toes <laughs> because uh, – because that yeah it's brutal but uh that skin gets sort of uh you know i'm i'm an old guy what are you gonna do that skin isn't as elastic as it used to and uh and so now i i flex my toes out and spread my toes out and make sure that everything is is cracked and aligned and that way i know later if i have if i hear anything i know that there was uh i've gone further than i typically do and there's probably a problem so that's pretty important is that that alignment uh to prevent injuries and then, again, if you do get injured, while you're doing that alignment or while you're doing a, a nice little stretching routine in the morning or, or whatever you like, uh, you find that area of inflammation. You isolate it. You isolate that point where it hurts really bad. And then uh, with these uh, these simple holds, you know, if it's your elbow, then you could use a push-up to do it. If it's uh, your knee, then uh, you use a squat. And then you find that right in that spot and you sort of do small circles around it, meaning like you just move it ever so slightly and what you'll notice, if you need to repair something, if, you, if you've already aligned it, you've found that area of inflammation, and then you do one or two extra sets of these, then you'll notice on the third set, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. And why I think that happens is because you've engaged all the small muscles around it, and your body doesn't want to feel that pain. So it actually really focuses on trying to engage them, and then uh, and you start to strengthen the muscles and tendons or everything around wherever the problem is, which also helps it heal. So it seems like every time I get injured, it's, it's actually the, the healing time has been cutting in half every single time. It's like when I first, uh, you know, had a couple of tendons rip, rip off my arm because of an arm bar, it took three months to feel better, you know? And then, uh, and then it was shorter and then it was shorter and then, and now, I mean, I can, uh, I can hyperextend something and I'm really not that worried about it. I know it's going to be bad for maybe a few days, but determining exactly where that pain is and, and using these simple techniques, you can really, uh, overcome that the, it, you can really heal it essentially help your body, uh, strengthen everything around it and heal it uh, so much quicker, mind blowingly quicker that, uh, it, it's going to keep you in the game. Miles, you're you're way ahead of me on things. <laughs> I, I don't want anything hyperextended. I don't want anything going past the range of motion. Uh, that's just crazy. I don't want that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens though, right? I mean, it happens on accident. 
Yeah. Uh, for for me, and this is a whole different uh, way uh, that I've dealt with uh, injuries, and it's it's it, same as you. Injury avoidance is is the biggest thing. But Definitely. it's not these like you have these these techniques, which I'm really excited to start trying these and seeing uh, how they work. But my my biggest thing that I've done in jujitsu to avoid injuries in the past ten years is to take responsibility yeah. for my own injuries. Mm, that's how it. do you mean? That's well, if we if we're rolling and you arm bar me and my arm mm-hmm. snaps, that's my fault. If you it, know what that is a uh, that is absolutely something that we need to learn right out of the gate, isn't it? I mean that's that's huge. Yeah. It is. It it goes from like, did you realize that uh, that I'm the type of person who doesn't want to get injured? Like some people are a little more reckless than others. Yeah. I, I tap pretty early, like Kimuras. If you if you get me go north south, you lock up my arm, and I will tap before my grip breaks. I will I, like. That's right. I, I think Kimuras are pretty dangerous, but uh, yeah. um, I'm I'm pre- I'm a pretty safety oriented guy. And yeah. and it's and, and part of my responsibility to train safely is to tell people or or to not put myself in the situations. But if I think you're you're injury prone, like yeah. I'll I'll tell you, hey man, you know I'm working on some stuff. I really don't want to get injured. I have to go to work <laughs> uh, tomorrow or whatever, and right. I need to be able to. Do that. That's important for me. And so just yeah. just letting that person know, and then protecting myself during the match or not during the match, but during training and 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 having all this is just. If I get injured, it's always my fault. How could I have avoided it? And and that has been a big one for me. Totally different than your your approach, which is I'm I'm really interested in starting to try this is strengthening those joints. And yeah. and that and really I can look at that as my fault too. Like I haven't strengthened my joints. I haven't done these things to to make my body uh, more resilient to getting injured. Well, but but wait though, I share your same approach. So when I tap, I tap with everything. I tap. I tell. Um, I yell out. And I, and I tap and I tap before it hurts. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I've had I've had training partners often be scared after they tap me because they're like, "Are you okay?" Because I tap so intensely. <laughs> but uh, I think that's a huge thing for especially new people to remember that uh, when you tap, you make sure the other guy knows it, and uh, and don't feel verbal taps are good. You know, if your hands are caught up or you know. I don't do like I don't I never tap the mat because what point like uh, he, they might not hear it you know yeah so I'm always tapping them I'll tap their face if I have to <laughs> right make sure they're they're aware but I do yell out too <laughs> <laughs> that's that you know that's to me that's that that's a basic thing about training jiu-jitsu. if it, it, it happens sometimes somebody will come in and, and present themselves like they know a little bit more jiu-jitsu than they actually do. And mm. and one of the big red flags is they don't know how to tap out properly, like yeah, or or they do like the soft tap, or they like they really hesitate. It's like that's not acceptable. Like I always no. talk with that person, like, hey man, tapping is the way that you remain safe doing this. You need to really let me know because if if, if typically you know at black belt level, if you're working with somebody who's that new, you're expecting them to tap, so you kind of slow things down. But if white belt versus white belt, or even a blue belt. They're going pretty hard on these submissions. They yeah. may not feel that subtle little tap tap that they're trying to like admit defeat, but not really wanting to. Like tap with intention, you know. You're trying to That's preserve right. your own body. And you know, I don't know if you can always help it because um, I got the amazing good fortune to roll with uh, Machado about a, a, a year ago. Yeah, which was uh, so I got invited to the gym by by a friend of mine, John uh, Jack Machado's, and uh, and I I got to go through his class, and, and he was teaching class. And then, and this is the first time I'd been there. 
And he was, let me tell you what, he was everything that you would think he would be because the moment I was at the desk, he happened to come in and, uh, and Joey was my friend. And I said, Oh, you know, I'm a friend of Joey's. And he was like, Oh, you're a friend of Joey's. You're a friend of mine. And he like gives me a big hug. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is going to be great. And, uh, and so we're, we're through with the class and I just wanted to grab a, a picture of him. I mean, you know, John Jack is a, is a legend, right? And, uh, and I go up to him and I say, Hey, uh, you know, mind if I get a picture of you? And then he had seen me roll a bunch with a bunch of his guys. And he was like, put it away, put the camera away. We're going to roll. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> and so <laughs> I hand my camera to uh, my phone to uh, somebody sitting there. I'm like, Hey, you mind, you know, take a couple of shots of it. And so we're, we're rolling and uh, he's arm barring me left and right. I mean, he arm bars me like probably three times. And on one of the arm bars, he had me in such a, a unique position that uh, uh, he hyperextended my arm. He popped the tendon on me and, uh, and the person taking a picture happened to grab the photo and I'm literally doing a headstand. He's got me like he somehow rolled me around and I'm doing a headstand while he's he's arm barring me. You can see him like letting go in the picture, but uh, it was it was too late. <laughs> but uh, uh, amazing. You know, of course, he he's the master of feeling uh, how to extend. And, uh, and, you know, it just happens. You, you can't always prevent it. Yeah. But uh, it ended up being a really cool role. Because uh, it was only five minutes, but uh, after after he tapped me out a few times, uh, you know, I was I was able. He got he became more comfortable, and uh, and I got a pretty good sweep on him, and I swept him, and then the class kind of like gasped, and some gal yelled out, "Oh, that's a good sweep!" And uh, and then he realized too. The way I roll is uh, I'm very I, I like to keep a millimeter in between myself and my partner. Right now, like I, I really try and flow as much as possible and feel what they're doing. I, I, I rarely put pressure. And uh, and I think he realized that at that time. And then so he got to sweep me back and then I swept him back and then he swept me back. And we kind of like it turned into, you know, just a, a, an amazing role at the end. And uh, and everyone was really excited. And, and, and you could hear, you know, everyone was sort of following along. You could hear the, the class following along on our, on our movements and stuff. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty unique experience. But uh, but again, you know, you can't always help it. Those, those injuries happen. And, uh, you know, I suppose that might have been my fault, but I was I was doing a headstand. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, and just for for me, I having never been in the situation and, and that sounds like a crazy thing. But like if somebody arm bars me like hard in the first minute or so, I, I will tell him, hey, man, I got to go to work in the morning or, or you know, hey, I'm not trying to get, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're kicking my butt. But, you know. I, I always, I don't know. It's and it's different when it's kind of it's a celebrity of of jujitsu. But um. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. If anyone, I was proud actually yeah. that uh, my arm hurt for a week. Like, ask me why my arm hurts. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. So, what got you started way back then in in jujitsu or martial arts before it was a uh, really yeah, a thing? No kidding. It was probably uh, you know what got a lot of people was the UFC. Right. I used to sit around in high school with my buddies and we'd watch the UFC and uh, we might have some beers and then uh, we would take it out back. We would take it out back and we would try and submit each other in the grass. And then uh, and then once somebody got got kicked in the pills, we would go back inside, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's, and that's a good of, cutoff point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're like, OK, I've had enough. And uh, it, it was it was really good. And then I ended up moving. I, I went to college, the College of Charleston in South Carolina, and I met. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, credit, I, I credit him a lot for the beginning of my jujitsu career, which was, uh, Jerry Brewer, master Jerry Brewer out of, uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He was under Helson Gracie 
and uh, and he was everything that you would want in a martial arts instructor. I mean, he was he was humble. He was an absolute beast at the same time, and uh, and and real enthusiastic about teaching. And so uh, we started doing uh, tournaments back then, and there weren't gi tournaments, right? It was uh, it was just no gi or whatever pants that you could, whatever shorts you could find, <laughs> because you know even. Uh, a grappling gear was hard to come by. Yeah, and, uh, and neck cranks were legal in the beginners. And so it went zero to six months, six months to two years, and two years and above. That was the three categories, and uh, and anyone was invited. So Navy SEALs, any anyone that wanted to come in and, and see how if they could submit somebody, uh, uh, come on, bring it on. And jujitsu, of course, would uh, conquer all other forms of grappling, which was fun to be a part of the winning side. And uh, I have a great old video of me uh, uh, doing well in the tournament and then uh, and trying to neck crank this guy. And I'm neck cranking him so hard that my own feet are trembling. <laughs> and he didn't tap out. But uh, it, it was what a fun time it was and a very uh, intense sport it was at the time. And, and underground, I mean, nobody was doing it for any other reasons other than sort of test your own uh, spirit, you know. And that's that was the beginning. And I, I stuck around with Helsin's guys until I went to uh, Phil Milgris in uh, Balanced Jiu-Jitsu in uh, Philadelphia. And he's also under under uh, Helsin. And uh, that's such a great style, the old school Gracie style where you never give up position for any reason. I mean, it's a it's a, just a grind all the way to the top. And uh, it's very effective. We talk about that uh, what you know the difference between sport and 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 non-sport and, and self-defense and I never thought there was a difference but uh, I think what people should be trying to create is uh, is just an autopilot like what's the what's what are you gonna do when you get clocked in the head and uh, what, what is your body just gonna naturally do when you don't even remember what happened I, I just think that's what we're trying to create in jiu too huh yeah and that's I mean you you, you kind of work that way with with just tra- training and getting better like if you're having to think about everything you do you're very slow that's right we we want to we want to add techniques where, which do require thinking but really if you're working on like let's just say you mentioned butterfly guard if you're working on guillotine from butterfly guard your your body is maintaining butterfly guard preventing the pass keeping me off balance whatever while you're trying to figure out okay now trap his head here or do this so there's still like a lot of of processing power working under the lines of I'm, I'm working for a guillotine but really if you were just a regular guy working guillotine and you forgot all your half your butterfly guard stuff the person would just slice right through the butterfly guard and there'd be nothing there but that's right. Like you have to. We that's why it takes a. I think a long time sometimes because we're building these systems that work on autopilot. So then we could, when we learn new things, we we're building on that framework. Yeah, you know that's a good point. I kind of considered it all one big autopilot. But you, um, you bring up the point that it is. Uh, it's like a series of of autopilot situations that you're setting up. That's a really good point. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that more and uh, and probably incorporate that. Like, uh, so this is your, uh, when this happens, this is your autopilot. This is what you want to do. And then, uh, otherwise when this happens, this is something else. That's yeah. a, that's a good point. And having a good autopilot makes it easier to learn things because you're able to rely on that to keep you, uh, where you want to be. Yeah, that's, that's it, man. Just being able to stack all this stuff up. It is so much to learn. That's why we didn't really talk about it yet, but the, the, the breathing, yeah, the breathing yeah, exercises yeah. and the breathing into jujitsu. You know, jujitsu is so complicated <laughs> as it is. So 
in order to uh, uh, to progress your jiu-jitsu and, and while you're rolling while, while you're rolling hard there are a few breathing techniques that you can use and uh, and it's very minimal uh, I mean the stuff that we incorporate the breathing portions that we incorporate are so minimal but uh, because you can't think about all the you can't really think about your breathing while you're doing jiu-jitsu or at least you can't give a lot of uh, of time to it. You got to be able to just okay. I'm going to breathe this way, this way, or this way. We have three breathing patterns that we use, and uh, and that's it. And then we just sort of switch in between them. But uh, that's a pretty big, uh, again, that's a pretty big addition to this already massively complex system that we're we're trying to put together and the autopilots we're putting together. Yeah, and and, and Miles, you kind of have a unique. Uh, background with with the breathing and, the, and that sort of exercise tell us a little bit about how you got into that yeah so i'm a certified wim hof method instructor i started it back in uh i started it october 30th 2015 and i remember the date because that was the day that uh wim hof got on rogan's podcast for the first time and uh and he's very open about sharing his method because it's so simple and it's a natural thing that we, we can all do easily and uh, when I tried the, the Wim Hof method that day, it was so uh, effective for me. I happened to have a low lung capacity. So uh, cardio, running, all these things, I would get like uh, running cramps. Have you ever gotten a cramp when you're, when you're trying to exert yourself? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So uh, I would get those pretty bad. And I didn't know how to overcome them. You know, uh, you know coaches just tell you, run through it or yeah. something like that. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. And so I was there. They were super. They, they were uh, just devastating to me. And so, and and I think that's why is because of my low lung capacity. So when I tried these things, the Wim Hof method is it was just massively effective. And uh, and you don't know it, but uh, all of us can hold our breath for four times longer than we normally do in our day to day. So on average, most people can hold their breath about thirty seconds. And and did you know that uh, with a simple breathing exercise beforehand that you could hold your breath for two minutes, that you can today. I could teach you how to hold your breath for two minutes, uh, probably without without issue easily. And uh, just that little piece of information, well, I feel like that's something that we should have been taught when we were kids almost. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is a valuable piece of information that w- w- hasn't been shared uh, uh, through in our society, in our culture. So uh, once I started the Wim Hof Method, I was often running. And, uh, and I, I, I did some workshops in the area when he came, I met him and then, uh, and I decided to, to take the instructor route. And once I did, man, it really opened up a lot of interesting doors, uh, for myself physiologically. I mean, it's, it's basically like a, uh, mechanical Laird, Laird Hamilton describes it as a mechanical meditation. So if you've ever meditated, do you meditate at all? Brian? Yeah, I, I, tr- I try. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I get a couple in. A, a, it seems like a week. <laughs> no, so let but me, yeah, so, uh, let me wonder what happens. So you, you you meditate sometimes, and sometimes you have a great meditation, and sometimes you can barely keep your attention span on it. Yeah, right? my Does mind's all over the right? place, or sometimes it's it's I'm able to really you know, like focus on breathing, or 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 just not really control my breathing, but just watch it. And sometimes yeah. it's like I'm thinking about what's going to be for lunch or what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> who right. am I going to interview? And it's like, a, oh, I get done. It's like, that didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I was in the same boat. I liked meditating because every once in a while I would get a good one in. And then it was kind of like chasing the dragon after that. I never 
could, you know, I would just do it. I would get a good one in every once in a while. But what's neat about the Wim Hof method is it's mechanical. You follow these steps and you will get in a deep meditation, period. <laughs> it's like you don't have a choice. We make chemical changes in your body. You make them almost inst- instantaneously using uh, several different breathing patterns and breath holds. And, uh, and it is really neat. And so now once you learn how to meditate, well, you get into a weird space where you start getting in touch with the things that are happening in your body a little, little bit better. So you get in touch with how adrenaline is getting released in your body. You get in touch in touch with how blood flow is changing in your body. You know, all because you're just able to stay silent for two minutes uh, with, with nothing to do, and uh, and then you, these things start happening. You start to feel these things better. So it, it's pretty. I'll tell you a fun story. I went to, to uh, one of Hickson's seminars, which is, I mean, you know, to me, he's the king, yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It was amazing to even be able to go. And, uh, and I was already, I wasn't quite a, a certified instructor yet, but I was already pretty far. I was in the advanced stages of it. And, uh, and I get to the seminar and, uh, and there's Hickson. As soon as I walk in, he's on the mat by himself and, and he looks at me. And, and like, oh, my God, just him looking at me made me so nervous. And I like, <laughs> looked down. <laughs> and I didn't know. Like, and, and I felt bad for looking down. I'm like, why? What just happened? Why did he, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was a very fun experience. And so we're warming up for the seminar. And, uh, and he's sitting there by himself. And everyone's pretty quiet. And so I said, this is my chance. And I go, I'm, I'm most excited about his breathing techniques. Because, you know, we've all seen Choke. I imagine everyone who's done jujitsu has seen the movie Choke. I yeah, think. I think it's I think it's free on YouTube. Like, just type in the word Choke documentary and her Hickson, and it pops right up. And yeah, there's some crazy looking breathing exercises in there. Yeah, and so I was really interested to see how, and I had seen that too. But it's tough from that video or, or from things he said. He's not videotaped that much. It's tough to know exactly what he's doing or, or yeah. how you know how what are the benefits. And uh, so I, that, so that was this was my opportunity. So I get to sit, I get to ask him, I go over to him, uh, Master Hickson, you know, it's so nice for you to be here. I, I'm happy to be here. And, uh, and I ask him about the breathing. I said, and then I ask him about the Wim Hof method. He knows about the Wim Hof method. And he tells a fun story about how Kron uh, started doing the Wim Hof method and started the 10 week. There was a 10 week course was the original course. And he said that uh, he passed out twice. <laughs> and <Wow>. he said, <laughs> yeah. And he said that Kron said that uh, he likes his breathing methods better he likes his own breathing methods methods better and uh and his hickson started laughing and he said uh, your breathing methods he was like those are my breathing methods that i taught you <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a fun story but then uh, as i'm talking to him about it uh he you know i asked him about it later even afterwards so we had a good 20 minute conversation about breathing and he showed me how he's doing it and then he also uh went into about a half hour of the breathing the stomach exercises that he does of course these famous four and, uh, and all this stuff in the beginning of the seminar. And then I asked him about it afterwards. And so his is basically giving him similar benefits, which is uh, being able to recover, being able to withstand, uh, you know, being able to get in a really deep meditation, all these very similar benefits. But the breathing is completely different. It is completely different. And I asked him, like, well, what do you think of this, the Wim Hof stuff? And he's like, exactly what I said. He's like, well, it's, it's different. He's like, it's, it's good. That's awesome. He's a, a great guy. And these guys are Wim Hof and Hicks and Gracie are like parallel entities. I mean, they, they have like these parallel lives where they're doing similar kind of crazy extreme things. And they're attributing a lot of it to meditation and breathing, their, their focus, you know. And uh, so after studying the, the Hickson's breathing methods more and then uh, 
one of the the uh, jujitsu sites did a video of his seminar, which was neat. And uh, and I I started to compare the two, and then I started to find similarities. I finally found a similarity between the Wim Hof method and Hickson's method. And then oh my god, the light bulb went on, and, and I started to use that and uh, and figured out using Hickson's, using Wim Hof's, figured out these ways to breathe during jujitsu. So you don't even have to practice these things. You learn these things. You can apply these three breathing methods during jujitsu, and uh, and they are so effective that uh, it's, the difference is night and day. Wow. And is there <laughs> uh, – <laughs> I know the answer to this, but is there a, a way that, that we can learn these from you? Uh, yeah, I mean, so I, I'm happy to share these things for free on uh, uh, you know on, on to anyone who's listening because it's so – uh, I feel like these are really natural things that we should have learned when we were kids. And, uh, and so I share them on YouTube and I share them on Instagram or whatever. YouTube's probably the best way to go get them. And, uh, and I am putting out, uh, I'm, I'm finishing up a book, uh, a small little ebook with, again, the, the way I like it is just the principles. I want, don't give me any of the fluff. I just want principles that I can follow, that I can apply immediately and, and see changes. So this this little ebook is going to have that in there, and uh, people will be able to pick that up. All the stuff, all my stuffs on uh, breath fitness. Okay. So instead of com, everyone can just go to breath breath fitness, and uh, and then that kind of they can figure out. You know, YouTube is probably the best way to to learn some of these things. But uh, man, yeah, it's uh, it. You can tell I'm pretty excited about it just because it's so. So I use those same breath patterns for the exercises those warm-up exercises. So if you can do, if you can do a minute, if you could do a 30 second push-up, I would wager that you could probably do a one minute push-up using this breath pattern or these three breath patterns. Interesting. Because the first one, yeah, the first one, the Wim Hof method, it's uh, it charges you up. It gives you a bunch of energy. Uh, it lowers your CO2 and raises your oxygen. So that's the one that's going to be able to allow you to hold your breath longer if you need to. And Byron, I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to sweep some big giant, I hold my breath. I mean, you shouldn't, but uh, naturally we do, right? So, uh, so that's very useful to, to do before in the beginning of a roll, right before you roll or in the beginning of a roll. And then, uh, and then there's another one that mixes up sort of both of them that you can do while you're rolling. And then there's Hickson uses a recovery style breath. His is pretty interesting because if you breathe all the way out, then uh, breathe all the way out, like push all that air out, then it's air pressure that brings air back in. So the neat thing is that uh, you're only using energy to push air out. And that's sort of, that's what he uh, talks about and what, what he says is super effective when you are getting a big carbon dioxide overload because uh, because you're exerting more than you're breathing. Yeah, it's to, so, to, man, yeah, to could, blow it out, and then the atmospheric pressure just fills your lungs back up. Right? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that's it's just the pressure. It's air pressure. So instead of using, we use when we breathe, we use two processes. We use an expansion process and a contraction process. And let's say we use two, it's probably not two muscles, but you use the muscles in two different ways. So in Hickson's recovery method, you push out, and all you're using is contraction. You're only using essentially half of uh, – you're only using one process to breathe, which it might be twice as efficient as opposed to 
breathing, you, you know, using full expansion and contraction while you're breathing, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and then so – and that was the, the underlying principle that I found that transcends these two methods. So in Wim Hof's breathing, in order, this power breathing that he does, you only use expansion. So you breathe all the way in. You let go. And then when you let go, you get to a neutral point in your lungs. So you still have air in there, but there's no air pressure one way or another. And so you just keep – in this case, in the power breathing, you only use expansion. So – Again, you're only using one process to breathe. So again, you're doing some different things chemically, but you're still twice as efficient, right? Because you're only using that one process instead of both. Wow, that, that's interesting. And I urge uh, you know people to to check that. What's the site again? Uh, Breath Fitness. Breath Fitness. I'll put so a link to that in the show notes and cool. And they I can, hope that's not too. Was that too complex of an no, explanation? It's, on it's, that? it's. I think that's enough to to make it sound interesting. And you're able to do this while you're actually training and and you get like the simple thing is if I could do a 30 second push up and then I breathe this way I could do a minute long push up you could just imagine that effect on your jiu jitsu yeah i mean it really is it's pretty interesting how when we control our breath how much more we can do i mean we're really controlling the body chemicals we're really controlling the chemicals in our body and in our brain i mean we say in the 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 wim hof groups that man, you used to controlling your brain used to be like an old analog TV where you're 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 pumping the knob, click click click, and uh, and it was it was a lot of work to control your brain, to control your emotions, to control all these things. But now we have the remote control to your brain, and it's through breathing. And you can make your brain essentially change emotions, change uh, uh, different levels using just sort of automatic breathing techniques. And, uh, and it, once you get started, man, you can see I've sort of fell in the wormhole of, uh, of trying to discover more. But uh, it is a really neat endeavor. And you don't have to – it doesn't have to be very complex. That's the best thing. It can be as simple as it gets and you know, just apply these things. And, uh, and then if they work for you, that would be awesome. I'd love for people to let me know if they work for them. And, uh, you know, and, and if they don't, then uh, uh, I, I can't imagine. Nobody's come back and said, you know what, none of this stuff working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, it's, it's yeah. a layer of jiu-jitsu that we often don't think about. I mean, we're thinking about uh, different passes and and maybe maybe our our strength and conditioning and maybe our diet. But a lot of times, breathing, which is something that you do constantly while you're grappling, I, you do it constantly while you're alive. Yeah, it, it has an effect on things, and it's just not being looked at. No, not, not enough. And you know, it's super effective. That one breathing pattern that we're familiar with, probably where they, uh, where you stagger your breath and you go when you breathe out, you go. That's sort of been taught by the Gracies, and you'll even see, uh, you'll see Hodger Gracie do it when he's uh, competing. Or I was a member of his online school for a bit, and uh, and you'll see him do it, and and you'll see these guys do it. But it's like it's almost like breathing and warming up is sort of the boring part, and so we want to get to the more interesting part. But, man, if you get these things down, now all of a sudden the more interesting part is even more interesting because you can sustain uh, uh, mental clarity for so much longer and, uh, and learn more and, and apply more. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, you can tell I'm pretty pumped about it. But, uh, yeah, so we, we teach breathing classes just for jiu-jitsu, which is uh, – it's neat because it's – nobody needs it more than, uh, than a jiu-jitsu guy, I think. I think that's like the uh, – because, again, it's one of the – the hardest endeavors you can partake in really. Right. 
Yeah, and and that's just another element you could tip into your uh, to your favor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Miles, you've also done uh, some fight to wins. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. Listen, the fight to wins are, are such an amazing event. I don't know if people know this, but Seth, the promoter, the owner, he used to be a uh, a rock show promoter, and so he had all the uh, he had all the gear from rock shows. So he had crazy lights, smoke, lasers, all this stuff, and then decided to do jujitsu shows. And uh, and and honestly, I don't even know if jujitsu is worthy of what how good of a show this is because it is it is unbelievable. I mean, you're you're walking down the the walkout through the smoke and lasers. The the sound uh, the sound system is is rattling everything, and uh, and it is it, uh, it's just uh, uh, un there, there's very little like this experience. So you walk out and you see your friends on the crowd, and everybody's right up to the co- the corner of the mats, and uh, it's, it's a really amazing test of your of your psyche, right? Of if, of your nerves, of your adrenaline control. And adrenaline control is, again, something that we, we talk about a lot in the Wim Hof Method and learn how to control. So if you want to test your adrenaline control, you do a fight to win because there's nothing that's going to shoot your adrenaline higher than coming through that smoke and seeing your friends and, uh, and, and all the lasers and everything like that. And then it's really neat, too, is that uh, I got to uh, – I've done a couple of them, wh- which were great. And then I also got to ref one uh, recently. And when I was refing, I get to, you know, it's a different perspective. I get to see people coming out and I get, I'm opposite of them. And I even got to, uh, one of the best ones was the, the 700 pounds of black belt action Two two of these big 350 pound guys Man. that I was, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was, uh, it was thundering. They saved the craziest music for that one because you can barely see, I mean, it's just like strobe lights and these guys are coming out. And, uh, what I noticed on a lot of people's faces is, uh, is how nervous they were. There's, it is so nerve-wracking, and you can't help it. Even if you're telling yourself this is just one match, this isn't like a, a tournament where I'm going to have to do a bunch of matches or anything. I mean it is, it is like a, a forced situation where you really have to deal with, with something uh, inside yourself. And uh, you know, it's, it, I, I can't speak uh, on, high enough about that promotion. I, I think it's the, 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 one of the coolest things you can do. And the neat thing too is that it's open for everybody. I mean, anyone, any one of you guys could sign up, and as long as they can get you a match, uh, you know, then then you're good to go. And, and you do you, you help sell a few of the tickets. And so if you have some friends at the gym, whatever, um, it, it's you know, it, it's a really a neat thing that for for everyone involved. And then the fans, of course, everybody who's there, they have great food, they have beer and drinks, and uh, and cool stuff. And, and nobody leaves those. People are always asking me when the next ones are. And, and they're not even uh, jujitsu people. They're just just friends. So that's a, you know, I encourage everyone to, to make that a goal, especially if you do get nervous doing jujitsu or if you have trouble with nerves. This is this is the, one of the best tests that uh, that any of us can do. For instance, Byron, how, how when you compete, uh, have you had that feeling where you lost your strength? You're like, man, I, I don't have strength anymore. <laughs> I have that. <laughs> I have that before I get out there sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, quite a while since I've competed, but yeah, I, I remember just not feeling like I had it, or it, I, maybe that adrenaline jump dump after the first match, like my hands are numb. <laughs> That's right. It's a cra- that adrenaline control is an amazing thing because uh, I have that where I, I I have zero strength, or I used to have this. I have zero strength. I can't. I have no spit left in my mouth. 
my mouth guard is like glued <laughs> to my teeth and uh, there's nothing there's it's completely dry in there and uh and there's there's all all those things are things you control using breathing techniques yeah which is really neat to bring it back to the Wim Hof method you learn how to do some adrenaline control uh beforehand i spend a full hour beforehand uh meditating right before the match about 15 minutes before the match i go off and find my own corner and then all of a sudden that adrenaline dump what what happens is we bring our adrenaline up higher using the Wim Hof method you bring your adrenaline up higher than you would when you get some symptoms of anxiety and then your adrenaline has to raise up to meet those symptoms instead you bring your adrenaline up beforehand and now you don't get those symptoms so now you're you're standing up on the the uh, uh, stage and you're looking at all your friends, everything's crystal clear. You're not nervous. You're, you're not, your mouth's not dry. None of your, you know, you have all your strength and, uh, man, that is, uh, uh, you, that the, the Wim Hof method, you can use this for something like that. You can use it for, if you have to give a speech, you can use it for anything that gives you some sort of anxiety, man, that stuff is very controllable. You just need some time beforehand to address it. So, Go to go do the fight to win, everybody. Man. <laughs> That's awesome, Miles. We talked about a lot. We had other stuff to to talk about, but um, what's the what's the best way someone can get a hold of you if they have questions about this or questions about their own personal journey in jiu-jitsu or questions about breathing or or really anything? Yeah, thanks, Byron. The uh, breath dot fitness. That's my personal site, and uh, it's real basic. But uh, you know, you can you can reach out to any of my social medias on there, and. Uh, and, and definitely, I like to respond and, and talk about this stuff. And I, I'm growing. I'd like to build or grow more of a community around this stuff. And we explore more because a lot of it's uh, experimentation. And uh, with the breathing, I'm just as excited about the joint joint strength improvement because that's not, uh, uh, you know, I haven't seen anyone uh, uh, offer it like this. Not offer it, but I haven't seen anyone sort of put it together like this. And, uh, and jujitsu is such an amazing training ground for, for joint strength. I can't, I don't know what else would be better. So it, it's really nice to see people's feedback on, on that the stuff is working for them. So yeah, I encourage uh, anyone to reach out and say, say hi. Yeah, that's awesome. Miles, do you have any final thoughts or words you'd like to leave with the audience? Uh, no, you, well, I, I love again, how you guys talk about the journey and from the beginning and and I think that once you overcome that the the uh, the hill to get over to stick with jujitsu is it's not that big. I think that once you get uh, above the hill, it, it's it's more downhill from there. And I would say even it, it becomes so much once you start jujitsu and you're and you're a white belt and you're getting you're getting uh, uh, you're a punching bag <laughs> the first couple of months or whatever. And then when the new crop of guys come in the door. And you're going to see one of those guys coming in the door that you've never met before, and you're going to think, "Man, I'm going to I'm going to get that guy." And uh, and then all of a sudden, you're not the guy on the bottom anymore, and uh, and and you become you know you're the guy on top, and and you start catching people, and uh, and then I think, man, if you you catch a few people, and and you you're able to learn how to uh, you know a little bit about nutrition, definitely a lot about uh, joint strengthening and repair. Um, then it's downhill from there. Then it's just fun. Then you're just going to have fun the rest of the journey. And I certainly hope to do this until um, I'm, I'm, you know, till I'm in the grave. I hope to be like Helio Gracie back, uh, you know, a hundred years old doing this. And and I think it's just such a uh, 
it's such an important endeavor for everyone to to, to, to learn ego uh, manipulation and how to to, to be stronger and, and, and be smarter. So you stick with it, my friends. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miles. Yeah, Byron, my pleasure, man. Thanks. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing. You guys keep up the good work. And I want to thank Miles for hopping on the show. Uh, go check out his stuff on uh, breathing and grappling. It's such a. It seems so simple, and I and I and I see it when people are failing to do it, co- you know, at all correctly. Like when somebody's basically grappling and hyperventilating, I key on that. I'm like this person needs to slow down and take some deep breaths. But I need to take my uh, take that to the next level and purposely breathe in a way that gives me uh, more energy. And uh, he's describing being able to do things, perform better by breathing better. And I think that would be that'd be a, a fun way to, to take that up a notch because I haven't really dealt with anything with that. I don't hyperventilate when I roll. <laughs> I'm not breathing super heavy like like you do when you first start out and someone's, it feels like someone's trying to kill you and you get kind of adrenaline rush for no reason and you start you know losing control of your, your, your ability to control your breathing. But uh, I think we would all benefit from uh, having some purposeful breathing while we train, and then uh, off the mat training with your with your breathing to help you uh, recover and and to to get into a kind of that zone that you're looking for. So thanks, Miles, for hopping on the show. We appreciate having you here. If this is something that you think a friend would uh, like, share the episode with them, and hopefully they'll be able to gain some value and learn from Miles as well. Yeah, you know, and and Byron, you were talking about that sharing it and gain some value. Uh, you know, we have an uh, article of the week uh, this week, uh, The Value of All Your Teammates, written by the one, the only, Joe Thomas. Um, Joe, let's have you talk about your article. Well, writing articles is getting easier these days. I just, <laughs> what, cha- uh, what chapter are you on? I just I just make a Facebook post and Byron turns it into an article. So yeah, that, that's so, literally. I, so I, I'm, I open my phone up, I read Joe's Facebook post on BJJ Brick uh, Facebook page. I'm like, that's an article. I copied and pasted it right into our thing. So Joe, amazing job with with our social media stuff on on Facebook. And uh, yeah, what do you, I didn't mean to steal it from you, but I, I was just when I saw that, I was just so impressed by what you had pointed out here. Well, I, I just want to say that sometimes I feel like I'm giving myself too much credit when we say these are articles. This is more of just a blog post, but uh, it's just an idea that I think is valid. And yeah, Byron, I appreciate that you liked it as well. Um, you know, we think of iron sharpens iron. That's one of my favorite quotes. And I think everybody that does jujitsu has this sort of idea that I really get good when I'm in those really tough training sessions with, you know, my friends, my training partners that I have really competitive roles with. And it's that, it's that hard training, that hard grinding that makes me better. You know, iron sharpens iron. And there's definitely some truth to that. Uh, But what I pointed out in this little Facebook post was that uh, leather also sharpens iron. You know, you, you see somebody sharpen a razor blade and they're putting it on a leather strap and, you know, a, a, rock a stone wheel uh, is oftentimes what's used to sharpen axes and these materials are much softer than iron yet they still uh, sharpen iron and so you think about how that relates to jujitsu and it's sometimes when you're rolling with a a lower belt that you have the opportunity to really get good and uh, Byron and Gary I'm going to let you guys speak to that a little bit I'm going to just do a little twist on this and I'm going to say that it's also a two-way street and uh I, I'm often in the position where I'm the the less skilled grappler, 
And I, I know that sometimes my training partners are doing things that are helping them get better, which are also allowing the role to be more competitive. But we both have to learn how to roll within that context so that we both get better. And I just want to say that as a lower belt, there's some things that you can do to make that happen. And there's things that you can do to make that stop. And I just wanted to touch on a couple of them. And, and one is it's easy to get maybe almost a little offended when you start to get the idea that your opponent's just giving you things, you know, you're like, oh, I know I only got that guard pass because he let me and, you know, I don't need your sympathy or whatever. They're not doing it out of pity. So you got to get over that and you got to take the opportunities when they come. I've got a couple of coaches that there's no way I'm mounting any offense unless they let me. But when they let me, I can't get uh, I can't get my panties in a wad because uh, I'm offended that they're showing me sympathy or whatever. I've got to take that opportunity and I've got to roll with it. And uh, that's how we both get better in the role. The other thing I see white belts doing often is when the upper belt gives them an opportunity, they, they get this look in their eyes like this is my chance and it's all of a sudden full-on wounded cougar mode and they're scratching and clawing and you know if if you're rolling with an upper belt and you get a glimpse of his back and you just do everything you can to get there including fish hooks and you know eye gouges and he's not going to give you that opportunity again later so as a lower belt when you're in this situation there's things that you can do to to facilitate it you guys you're both uh Usually the more experienced grapplers, so I'll let you speak to getting the most out of a role when you roll with uh, lesser experienced guys. I just want to say, Joe, you didn't want to get your pants in wide. It, you, do what you want. You know, like that's your own personal uh, situation. Uh, <laughs> no judgment here, my man. So however you want to, however you want to keep them, that's fine. <laughs> when you were talking about that, you know, I was eating a sandwich and I, I threw up mildly. So. Uh, um, yeah, I try not to think about that. But, Joe, um, I have to say I never really read your your article, quotes. Um, <laughs> and I've heard this many times, iron sharpens iron. And I always said, hey, I think that's great. I think that's – but I never thought about where you took that. And, uh, you know, as you were talking about it, you know, the leather strap, uh, stone wheel. Uh, in reality, many things sharpen an axe. And I was like, oh, man, that is that is brilliant. Um, wait, I'm stopping right here. Joe, you won the internet again this week. So, uh, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, funny Byron never wins it, but Joe wins how, almost how every how week. How do you win? What part of the article, uh, is, gets the win? Is it the title? Uh, it's, no, it's the, uh, is it the graphic? Just, no, it's, it's <laughs> saying iron sharpens iron. Isn't the, isn't just the truth. You know, the leather strap will also work. And, uh, but this is so true. I mean, you think uh, how many times you roll, like you said, Joe, if you're rolling with one of your instructors. Uh, but, you know, I I really like rolling with lower rank people. And, uh, you know, I like to give positions. I, and when I try to give a position, I try not to. You know, you were talking about, Joe, though, you get a, you know, some people get their panties in a wad if they realize you get in the position. I try to almost make it like I didn't give you the position. I try to you know, try to pretend like I make a mistake and get put in there, you know, for that reason. But, you know, I just love it too. I'm getting in positions that I'm not in every day. Um, you know, I like to, you know, lately I've been liking to get caught in an arm bar and seeing if I can hitchhike or escape out of it. Um, you know, it's really helping me on that. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just really love that trying different things. Uh, 
that you know I may not be good at, and it makes my game so much better. I mean, I, sometimes I think that you know going against a, a lesser person makes my game better. Um, you know, I'm not as much you know going for the win. Um, you know, Byron, you always say, you know, you want to have people better than you, people the same as you, and people lower than you. And, um, you know, maybe just because of my age now and I'm not as fast and, you know, I'm really trying to learn a lot more instead of just winning. Um, but I, I really like rolling against uh, people who haven't been training to, training as long as me. And, uh, you know, I love it when they tap me out. Uh, and uh, I've just learned so much from rolling with uh, uh, people who haven't been doing it as long. Uh, part of this uh, this post here, Joe says, the value your lower ranked and less experienced training partners. They too can sharpen your game. Just think of of your training and how much time you spend with training partners who are less skilled than you. And it might be hardly any time at all, or it might be most of the time. And if you're a brown or a black belt, it probably is. The majority of your time is spent with people who are not uh, the same skill level as you. If you can make that time valuable to you as well as valuable to them, that's going to accelerate your learning significantly. So if, if I've been working a lot on my back attacks and, and taking the back and, and finishing uh, and controlling from the back, and really my game has jumped up quite a bit. But if only if I were to do this just with black belts, I would roll five minutes with the black belt and maybe get a minute – 30 seconds, you know, in that range of back time, if at all. Maybe I get my guard pass and I get smashed the whole five minutes and don't get any action on my back attacks at all this time. But, you know, I I grab a white belt, I can get to the back on pretty much most white belts and and spend some time there and and work on some techniques from there. I'm trying to to not, you know, finish right away. I want to check a few things off the the list before I, uh, you know, get to the uh, submission or to see how somebody reacts. Blue belts, I could probably get to someone's back if they're a blue belt without a whole lot of trouble. Purple belts are going to fight a lot better. And, you know, it's going to be, I'm going to have to execute my uh, back takes a lot more efficiently and and, and have much more timing with those. And and as the list, you know, I just go up the chain, it becomes much more difficult. But if I want to get five minutes of rolling and get several minutes of of working on someone's back, they're not going to be a black belt. That's just not going to happen. They're going to escape or I won't even get their back. And so that's just one example of how you could do that. So if you find yourself as the highest ranked person in the room and you're not getting uh, any value of training with your lower, lower ranked training partners, your jiu-jitsu is really kind of stagnating. You need to, to find ways to gain value. It might just be you work on your escapes more often. You, I really like you know, getting a white belt that's almost, perp, or almost blue is what the order of the hat goes, or a blue belt, and just getting right into their A game. Like they've got a really good, uh, you know, spider guard. Let's just get in that spider guard and see what happens. And, and if I could, you know, stop from getting swept or stop from getting triangled or something like that, that's fun. If if it was a black belt, I wade right to their A game. It's game over, which is also okay. But it, it's it's uh, you shouldn't if you're upper level belt or up, you know, have a significant skill. You shouldn't be avoiding their best parts of their game. You should be getting into that, helping them develop that a little bit more, giving them some tips, and also helps you because. You know, good blue belts have really good parts of their games that should give you some run and, and, and push you a little bit. So uh, it's really up to you if you're not learning something with a, grappling with a, a less experienced person. Yeah, and you know, we, know it's, we know it's possible to get really good 
while rolling with only people less experienced than you because sure the guys that generally win the biggest tournaments on the biggest stages you know they belong to big teams and they have really high caliber you know training groups but you also see a lot of brown and black belts who come from small towns and you know like like my instructor both of them actually they they may go weeks without getting to train with another black belt and they still are getting better at jujitsu. They do well at tournaments, you know. So it's possible to do it, and the proof is there. Um, so yeah. The other thing I would say, I would add real quick: if if you are a purple belt somewhere or a brown belt, and you're you're getting one role with your coach that's a challenging role, and then pretty much you're rolling with a lot of blue belts and white belts. I know an audio book that can help you kind of figure some of this out. It's called Six Games for BJJ. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get back to that, it, that really is a great tool. If you're having a hard time figuring out how to get better rolling with people that are significant le- significantly less experienced than you, playing some of those types of games will help. Joe, I just want to go off the title. Uh, you know, in there's the value. We also have team and we have teammates. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, all different skill levels in your gym. Basically, the thing is we want to make our team. We want to value our team. We want to move our team up the ladder. Um, you know, everybody's helping everybody out. So uh, sometimes you're you're going to be going against the better person and you're going to be surviving and working your defense. Sometimes you're going to be the more experienced person and you're going to put yourself in position so the other person can work too. I mean, I can just take the, the person who's my teammate and not value him and just smash him all the time and, uh, you know, just give him a sore neck every time after, after rolling. Or I can smash him some so they get a little bit of that. I can less, you know, uh, lighten the pressure up and let that person work uh, to work on their offense, to work on their positioning, to work on being stable in a top position. And I can work on my submission defenses. So uh, it's all about your teammates. It's all about your team getting better, uh, the value you place uh, place there. And uh, this is a great article written by Joe. Uh, but I, I just love the name value. And when I think of value, I think about we all want good value. And where can we get some great value? And in my opinion, the best value you're going to find is June 14th through June 16th, uh, the BJJ Brick second annual event, uh, Fox Fitness, foxfitnessbjj.com. Uh, check out the website. Uh, Shamir Chantre, Gina Franson are both going to be doing seminars. Uh, Friday night is open mat. Saturday is the meat and potatoes. Uh, Shamir and Gina are going to have a seminar. They have both been to Wichita before. They both give incredible seminars, learned a lot from them. And then Sunday, uh, it's going to be uh, the BJJ Brick Crew. Um, but if you want value, get to Wichita, Kansas this summer and uh, have a good time. Uh, chokes and jokes. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you guys again, uh, those of you who made out last time. And if you'd uh, like to come and train with us and, and have some good times in the mats, you can do that really anytime uh, you're you know near Joe or uh, in the Wichita area. <laughs> Joe's just south of Houston uh, near Lake Jackson. Is that right, Joe? That's correct. And you guys are welcome anytime. You know, Joe's not Joe travels quite a bit, and but you know, if you, you need, if you're in one of those areas, send us a message, and and if we can train with you, we we will. But this is more of an organized thing where we like to see you guys and train as a group and and get a lot of good mat time. 
really excited about the, the BJJ Break event. I was had a great time last year, and it's been uh, one of the things I've been looking forward to all year, getting back to this and, and getting to see our our podcast friends again on the mats. So uh, that's that's really uh, something that I look forward to. And I uh, can't thank Jake Fox from Fox Fitness enough for helping organize it. Man, he's he's been great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll undoubtedly see some of our uh, biggest fans and, and, and most loyal listeners at the BJJ Brick event. But also, if you go uh, and look at Patreon, we have a Patreon page. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. Some of our biggest supporters are on there. And what they've done is they listen to the show and they think, man, I like to support these guys making this podcast and, and help out a little bit financially. If you could afford to do that, that'd be great. And our newest supporter is Caleb. Caleb, thank you so much for joining the Patreon support team. You've already got your gi patch and sticker in the mail and uh, invite you to join our private Facebook group. So just send me a message on uh, the best way. Send me your Facebook uh, profile uh, link in uh, to brick at gmail.com and I'll get you added in there and we'd like to have you in that private group. We have a lot of fun discussions uh, amongst Patreon supporters and ourselves, uh, the crew, <laughs> yeah. in the private group. So, guys, thanks so much uh, for the Patreon support. You guys know who you are, but I just want to welcome Caleb in to the uh, support team there. Thank you so much. You think about it. Um, you know, this podcast, it's free and, uh, you know, Patreon supporters really help us. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that, uh, we were ranked, uh, second ranked podcast in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu or martial arts podcast in the nation. And, you know, we started this at the bottom, you know, and it's like, how do we get off the bottom? We got off the bottom because of our Patreon supporters. <laughs> and that. And that actually reminds me of a, a question that we got sent to us. If you have a question, send it to bjjbrick at gmail.com. But one of our listeners uh, sent us a question. I am pretty new and sweeps are difficult. How do I get off the bottom? Uh, Joe, uh, any suggestions? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, yes, sweeps are difficult, but you just got to learn them. I mean, uh, sometimes I think the technical stand-up is underutilized to get back awesome. on top some. Sometimes there's just enough space that you can use that. But the reality is uh, jiu-jitsu is all about being able to go from a bad position to a dominant position. And so while sweeps are difficult, you, ne- you need to keep working on them. If it's just – if the context of the question is just that it's discouraging to always be on the bottom and uh, you, know, you, you don't have, have good sweeps and you spend every round on the bottom – you can always ask your opponents to uh, start in a positional sparring arrangement and you know, say, can I start inside your guard, inside your half guard, or something along those lines so that you're not spending every minute on the bottom. But <clears throat> it's just a hard truth that uh, sweeps are sort of at the core of jiu-jitsu, and you're going to have to tough it through and learn them. I suppose that's probably not very helpful. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it is tough, it, but you no. have a good point. Uh you you could sip if somebody asked me if anybody uh, white belt to black belt said I'm really want to work on my guard passing I am 100% happy to play guard the entire round and and that would be yep I've never seen anybody turn it down yeah that's that's a easy I mean it's not really technique wise but if it's just frustrating playing on the bottom for all four of your roles 
just ask, hey, do you mind if I work on my guard pass? I haven't been able to get, pull off a sweep yet today. <laughs> kind of, I, I always kind of poke fun on myself if that's the situation. You know, like I, I've been trying to get on top. Has it happened? Do you mind if I play a little top game and, and try to work on that? Because it will help your bottom game as well if you kind of see what the opposite is like. Uh, that's one way. Having worked a lot lately on my back attacks, a lot of times uh, taking someone's back is a whole lot different than sweeping someone. The act of sweeping, you know, like the, they'll base out and they'll they'll lean one way or whatever. Taking someone's back, a lot of times, it's it's a lot less energy intensive, and you can get them to turn the wrong way a little bit, and and they still have like impossible to knock over. But maybe you can get up and get to their back. Another thing that that happens to me quite a bit is you start like a guillotine, and people will, will uh, try to avoid that, and they'll fall to their back. Not. Would you would think of it as a sweep, but you've put them in a submission attempt to where one of the defenses is to just abandon the position, which isn't typically a smart thing to do, but it happens all the time uh, in training. So if you could make them, you know, say, "Oh, I'd rather not be with my head stuck here. Let's let's try to get to a more defensive position," and a lot of times they'll they'll uh, kind of abandon ship of the top game. But I'd like learn like a good arm drag or something simple like that. Uh, maybe get around their their game a little bit. For me, uh, you know, getting off the bottom and, and one thing that I has really helped me that was underutilized uh, for me to working with Byron a little bit is frames. Um, you know, a lot of times I would just get smashed so much on the bottom, you know, I couldn't get my hands in position. And uh, I've really worked hard on frames and that has helped me a lot. You know, just a little tip that Byron helped me out and I thought I'd share with you guys. Um, so frame, frame, frame. Man, that, that's golden, Gary, because even if you're not getting your sweeps necessarily right away, at least you're making being on the bottom more comfortable yeah, and more and, manageable. And I don't, I don't think you can really get the sweep, you know, without positioning, you know. And uh, if we're so flat, we're never going to get our hook in. We're never going to get the underhook. We're never going to get to that position. And, uh, you know, frames uh, are getting me in that position where I can, you know, start to move, move my hips a little bit, maybe uh, get a hook in there. So uh, that has really helped me. And I owe that to you, Byron. I, even though I don't like you very much, I will say good things about you. Well, don't do it too often. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I don't. <laughs> and definitely don't uh, do it behind my back. You know, it would be pointless, right? Pointless. Yep. Hey, you know what, guys? It's been a while since uh, we've had an audio book on the show, but Gary's been working on one. Um, awesome. A new audio book, not the six games for BJJ that Byron wrote. Uh, not your first year in jujitsu, but jujitsu for mascots. You know, we, we kind of talked about mascots at the beginning of the show, but Gary's been working on this jujitsu for mascots. Uh, Gary, tell us a little bit about this uh, new book you're working on. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, when I go to a game to, to enjoy myself and have, you know, three hours of, uh, enjoyment and i only spent like four hundred dollars to go um i want to have fun and a lot of times uh you know if my team isn't winning and i get a little upset and that mascot gets in my face and and starts starts up you know it kind of enjoys you know me spending five hundred dollars to go to that professional game uh so you know it made me start thinking about how can i get even with these mascots who are ruining my game and uh you know, one thing I thought about is, uh, hey, what skills do I have in, in jiu-jitsu? So, uh, uh, you know, let's let you jiu-jitsu to uh, get even with these mascots. And um, um, sounds simple, 
but it's really not because uh, you guys know I like to do leg locks and a lot of times uh, leg locks don't work as well when you know their foot's in a costume covered with feathers or fur um, you know you slip off a little bit easier so you know you have to round your game up um, you know one thing I found right off the bat is a lot of times uh, there's only little eye holes in those in the uh, the costume so it's always good right off the bat you know especially if it's a if it's a, a raptor to grab the nose and pull down um, because that's gonna take care of the sight you know once the sight's gone everything else is easy you know a double leg off of that is gonna be a lot easier if they can't see it coming um, but just little tricks I picked up and uh, you know it has made these uh, these sporting events a lot more enjoyable to me uh, you know when that mascot comes over and gets in my face so Gary, Gary, I know one thing about uh, mascots is they're often armed uh, with uh, like t-shirt cannons and stuff. And you've got a <laughs> chapter, you've got a chapter in there about uh, bringing your own equalizers to the ballpark. So tell us well, a little bit about that. Well, you know that's good that you said that because uh, that actually did happen to me. You know, I took a t-shirt uh, t-shirt cannon from close range to my private parts. Um, you know that wasn't very fun at all so what i've started doing first of all is i mean right off the bat we gotta have defense um you know i mean i know a lot of people say you know the best defense is a strong offense but uh once you get hit with that t-shirt cannon boy that uh, really hurt so what i do is uh you know whatever i'm wearing uh, i always make sure i wear a athletic supporter with a cup on top of whatever i'm wearing um you know that way it's going to protect me right off the bat so i don't have to worry as much about that um, a couple places you can actually use uh, a couple places have have looked at me strange and you know almost didn't want me to come in looking like that but the other good thing about it is you know i've talked about how much it costs to go to a game you can hide uh refreshments and uh you know candy and and you know stuff to eat inside there also um, <laughs> there's so, so much room in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when there's really nothing else inside the athletic support, you can fit some candy in there. Well, maybe I no, guess nobody maybe wants I'm, to share with you, one, Gary. I might be the only one who has that problem, but it has taken the average price down from five hundred dollars to four hundred nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents. So, yeah. uh, um, but uh, so th- that has really helped me a lot. If you're at a game where Gary's the mascot and he offers you like a king size candy bar. Just turn it down. He smuggled that thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I know a <laughs> Not lot of Not that excited. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I can't wait for it to come out. You know, I, I think it'll be a perfect, perfect gift for Memorial Day. So, um, you know, let everybody know about it and, uh, you know, get it for all your loved ones there for Memorial Day. And, I mean, what starts... Uh, you know, it's time to go to the ballpark. So perfect timing. You know what? As we're listening to you kind of make up an idea of an audiobook, this would actually be a book that would be able to sell. If you did just a couple seasons of, as a mascot and got into a couple of fights, you could write a book on how to how to fight and win as a mascot, and people would, would want to buy it and give it to people as an entertaining gift and that sort of thing and talk about. Like, I think that this would be, if done right, could actually be a book. And Gary wish you the best of luck in getting getting this thing uh done before memorial day <laughs> oh it, if if i don't have it done by memorial day 
it'll actually be a great Labor Day gift. So uh, you have your choice. Could you imagine walking through like a bookstore if they still have those in your area <laughs> and, and seeing a book about mascot fighting and not picking it up to look at it? Oh, I mean, everybody would get it. I mean, it's, as I like to say, the gift that keeps on giving. Well, I, I frequently go to Half Price Books up in Houston. That's what we have in our area. And I always uh, go right to the uh, athletic books first. Look, they've always got a martial arts section. And look, see if there's anything interesting. And I tell you what, if I saw BJJ for mascots, it would not be on the shelf anymore. When I walked out, it would be in my bag. Yeah, but you're going to put it in your bag and walk out because uh, <laughs> you actually could get in trouble. But I guess that would be its own uh, BJJ uh, audio book. You know, how to get yourself out of trouble from shoplifting using BJJ. So, yeah. No, I guess you, it's 101 ways to test your BJJ abilities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go, Joe. All right. Good one, Gary. Thank you. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, Gary mentioned briefly about uh, having uh, a cup that he could store things in. Next week, we have Craig Diamond, and he's really uh, a person who has engineered an entirely new cup and system to uh, help keep you safe and uh, made a lot of difference in the MMA community. And uh, I'm a guy who doesn't wear a cup, and... Um, talking, oh, talking no to Craig, to. talking to Craig, he, he's kind of given me an idea. Maybe I have a reason to, <laughs> and, and maybe I should, because you know, the times I have worn them, they've been very uncomfortable and I don't typically get racked a whole lot, but you know what? The times you do get racked, it does kind of suck. <laughs> so, uh, it's, just, it's an interesting conversation. It's, it, we talk about business. We talk about, he also does jujitsu. And, and we talk about, you know, staying safe on the mats and a lot of different aspects. So it, it'll be an interesting interview. In like 300 episodes, nothing we've really covered yet before. So we've yet to, we've found a new area, and it's kind of in the centrally located part of the body <laughs> to cover. But uh, next week. Dude. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just Googled this. He's getting hit in the crotch with sledgehammers and baseball bats. <laughs> getting roundhouse kicked. Man, that must be... Now he's taking multiple knees. That must be a heck of a cup. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's one thing yep, you can di- Google and, and find something in there. <laughs> well, di- Diamond MMA, the last athletic cup you'll ever buy. So go check them out. Yep, and we'll be having them on next week, my friends. So until then, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Train hard, train smart, train in an athletic cup, and you'll stay safe. We'll see you on the mats, guys. <laughs> Gary, Gary, is it is it sweaty in the costume? Are you staying sweaty when I'm you're next? in the... No. 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 <laughs> I've never been in the cup. Joe, I'm watching it right now. This is hilarious. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.